welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. My name is David Wojnicki. I serve as one of the uh, members of the advisory board for IBCD, as well as lead pastor at Valley Center Community Church. And uh, it's my privilege here today as part of the Summer Institute that we're doing to get to interview uh, Sam Alberry. And so, Sam, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. I think uh, you win the prize for coming the furthest out of uh, everybody to uh, to speak, and so uh, thanks for for being willing to come and uh, just to help get us informed about some of the opportunities for ministry and the unique needs of a of an aspect of our community. And so, um, here's what I thought I would do just to kind of begin. Um, would love to just hear a little bit about. Uh, your journey. Um, you're from the UK. Uh, you're now here speaking, but um, tell us about the journey that the Lord had you on to to bring you to to Himself as kind of just a starting place to some mm. further discussion. Yeah, I, we. I didn't grow up going to church or really thinking much at all about Christian things, so I didn't have sort of have that as a a key part of my background. But I got to know some Christians in my kind of later teenage years. Um, I was deeply impressed by them. They seemed to have real integrity to them. And they, they eventually invited me to their church youth group. I agreed to go along and I just heard the gospel for the very first time. And the first time I heard it, I thought, this is this is true. This is ringing true. So it was very, very soon after that that I, I kind of consciously thought for the first time that I need to give my life to Christ. And how old were you when that happened, About About 18. Just, uh, I turned 18 the week I... Gave myself to Christ. From that from that time, eventually the Lord uh, brought you into full time ministry. Mm. What was the catalyst for for that, and uh, what led you to that place? It was actually it was something I felt very burdened to be doing pretty much from the moment of my conversion, which was to help other Christians grow in their faith. Mm. Um, I think because I came into it from the outside, it was all brand new, yeah, and exciting. And that feeling hasn't changed. And it's trying to help other believers see, isn't it amazing what we have in Christ? So I, as I kind of began to grow in my faith, I found opportunities to, to encourage others. That's all I wanted to do was to help encourage other believers. And gradually that led into helping with the youth ministry at church and then in time to entering sort of full-time vocational ministry. In your um, time ministering and pastoring what what have you found as something that um, maybe surprised you about moving from uh, a lay person wanting to help people grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to then being in that position of, of a shepherd and of, a, of a congregation I think a couple of things really surprised me one is just the sheer amount of work that has to go on behind the scenes for one Sunday to function normally mm-hmm. and a lot of work from a lot of different people so the the whole kind of what you know what does anyone do during the week in Christian ministry? There's there's so much that needs to happen to make Sundays work, and it's a it's a whole church affair. I mean, there's the sheer number of different people who give of their time and service to make Sundays work. So just seeing the all the behind the scenes stuff and how many people serve so quietly and so in such an invisible way. I think the other thing that surprised me was you sort of think, oh, if I work for a church and I'm doing Christian ministry, having a devotional life will be so much easier. I'll have way more time to pray. It'll it'll be just one long spiritual sabbatical. And that that wasn't the case for me. It it, it is it does not follow that you become 
it's no easier to be godly in one sense. And, and the thing that's been a couple of times people have said to me, what's, what's the hardest thing about pastoral ministry? And the answer is always my heart is first and foremost. That's the, that's always the biggest trial and, and struggle. So um, it's a battle being in Christian ministry. So if people are thinking, oh, if I went into Christian ministry, that would make my walk with Jesus easier. Yeah. It won't. Uh, all the all the battles are there. Sure, sure. I, I really appreciate that per perspective as, as a pastor. I think that that is the greatest struggle is our own hearts, our own hearts in response to to the conflicts that we face, the circumstances, and the people even that we minister to. It reveals mm. a lot about ourselves and how yeah. and how we view even those that we're ministering to. Yeah. Um, as you would have opportunity to to speak to pastors, even some that might be listening to this, is there looking at at their own ministry you know you talk about that struggle mm. shepherding your own heart in the midst of those those things uh, what have you found has been uh, an encouragement or, or a key to getting you through those times and the struggle of just where your heart will, would be at in the pastoral ministry i think it's it's so easy and i'm saying this to myself it's so easy to believe in justification by faith but to pastor as if we believe in justification by being a good pastor yeah. so we we've got to let we've got to live by grace mm -hmm. because if if and i feel this temptation so prevalently in my own heart is to think i'm justified by doing christian ministry oh, sure. and that's just a, a, a path to untold misery if you if you think of it in that in that kind of way because you can never do it well enough to feel like it remotely qualifies and and sometimes being faithful is not the same as being fruitful, and it's very hard for us to gauge that distinction. How, yeah, yeah, how pleasing to the Lord we're being anyway. So, it's um, I think we we've really got to minister by grace, and we will be better pastors for that. We will be <laughs> kinder to our sheep yes. if yes. we are actually living by grace ourselves. It's a bit cliche to say, but. You know the whole practice what you preach i think people often yeah. think think about that as far as the things that you should be doing you know but but you no know, practicing what you preach is if you're preaching grace if you're preaching justification by faith alone absolutely and and it's every every time you get on a plane and they do a safety thing they always say you know if the oxygen masks come down put your own on first before the person next to you yeah yeah and it's the same in the christian life we've got to be attending to our own kind of gospel nurture and growth before we can try and give someone else that oxygen yeah oh that's i like that now can i steal that is that free can i can i use that one time i'll tell you the cost afterwards okay all right tell us the cost afterwards um god has uh, given you a very uh, it would seem unique platform in a very unique time and place in in um just the christian world and uh and that's speaking into the issues pertaining to same-sex attraction and, and marriage and those kinds of things, um, and you've been able to come in it with a pastor's heart. But but give those that maybe aren't too familiar with with you and, and why you've been able to speak into that, um, why God's maybe given you a platform to be able to to do that, and and what is the message that you're trying to speak into the lives of Christians and and the lives of those who struggle with same-sex attraction. It's it's an issue I've had to wrestle with personally so it, it's an issue I've battled with myself for, for many years so I guess that that's where my own personal investment in this issue comes from I'd never intended to 
make that a, a public issue, but did feel led to let my church know a few years ago and I put a few things online following that but I, I still even at that point never thought oh I'm going to have a ministry in this area and that, that was never the goal um, or the expectation but it it just seems to have happened and I I think I imagine it's because I can do a couple of things at the same time one is I can speak to this issue from the inside of it but the other is because I'm I've been involved in pastoral ministry for for a good number of years I can address the kind of the bible teaching side and the yeah the pastoralia kind of side of things too so i guess that i guess that helps that's a combination that i i think does seem to be appreciated and 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 useful um but yeah it's it's it's, again it sounds cliched isn't it but i it wasn't what i was planning to do yeah yeah it's just the the, the doors the Lord has opened on this particular matter. And as as he's opened the doors in, in that, what is the message that you feel like, well, maybe one that God has uh, given you the opportunity to communicate or the one that you feel like is most often necessary for you to, to communicate? Yeah, both of those would be the same thing, which is, and this is, this is the burden that got me being public about this issue in the first place was, just wanted to say to people that the word God has for people in my situation, to anyone who's experiencing and battling same-sex attraction, the word God has for us is a good word. Mm. And so we mustn't feel embarrassed as Christians about believing that word and sharing it with others. We need to do it in an appropriate way. But God's word is good on this issue. That's That's really what I'm trying to say to people. And therefore... For the Christian who's struggling with this issue and thinking, is it is being faithful to the Bible worth it? Absolutely, and it unquestionably. And to the wider church, I want to say the same thing too. And actually, you know, God's word to all of us actually is a difficult word, but it's always a good word. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe this wasn't from you, but I, I thought I might have heard you say this in, in one context. Uh, and if you didn't, uh, we'll just pretend. No, uh, that my desires don't define me. Uh, mm. And um, maybe I'm paraphrasing you or so, something along those lines. But um, you talk about the, the Bible having a good word for us yeah. it, it, on a topic like this. So maybe um, share what, what exactly do you mean by that? What, what, is, that, that, what is that good word for, for the believer? Well, that, that good word is... That and this is generalized for all of us is that we are to follow Jesus to take up our cross and deny ourselves that that is all bound up with following him. It's a hard word, but that word is a good word because Jesus says it's by it's in losing our life to him that we we receive our life we we gain it um that obviously there are particular things bound up with that if you're same sex attracted there are certain aspects of the self that we have to say no to certain desires we have to say no to but we we need to remember that to say no to certain desires is a good thing sure in our culture it's unthinkable and harmful and nonsensical but actually in the biblical understanding of who we are as human beings it is the healthiest thing we can do is to learn that actually there are some very very deep desires in all of our hearts that it is a blessing for us to say no to even if it feels like it's killing us to say no to them. You, you refer to the defining thing. I think that is part of God's word as well, is is understanding who we are in the light of 
who God says we are. Yeah. And there are certain things that describe us, mm. but which do not define us. Mm. Um, same-sex attraction does describe the sexual feelings I experience from time to time. They don't define who I am. It's it's part of how I am. It's not who I am. There's a there's two questions. Hopefully, we can get to both. But uh, I'll, I'll start with maybe this. We now um, live in a society where here we are as biblical counselors, as Christians, as pastors, who have the opportunity um, to minister, and sometimes those who will be ministering to have same-sex attraction. We live in a culture specifically here in America, where now, um, just even by law, it's uh, identified in specifically marriage as as acceptable, as right, and as good. Um, and, and so the culture has, there's been a shift that's not taken place, that this isn't something that's viewed as necessarily wrong, but it's, but it's, it's normal and, and acceptable. So there's now a little bit more of a, of a barrier in one sense of um, we come with God's word and we know what God's word says on the on the matter. We have a society, though, that says that's that's in conflict with what we believe. And so let me start with this question, just kind of setting those parameters. Uh, what is your encouragement um, to those who are counseling? How, how can we help to bridge that gap when we know what God's word says on this topic? How do we speak into the lives of those who are struggling with the fact that their desires tell them that it's okay, mm. society tells them that it's okay, when we don't want to, we want that open communication, but but but, but there's a barrier there. I don't know. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. How would you counsel, encourage, advise those who might speak into that one day for somebody? I think that there are two things we need to, to bear in mind. The first is whenever the Bible gives us a prohibition, mm-hmm. a thou shalt not, we need to think what is the positive truth that that, prohibition is protecting so if the bible gives us a no what's the bigger yes behind that no Mm. so what is the good thing that the bible's sexual ethics is is ring fencing and protecting and preserving for us and let's value that good thing and communicate that good thing in such a way that it makes sense of all the prohibitions that come downstream of it so that's one thing it's not just to teach rules uh not just to teach truth in a way that implies god's law is arbitrary but to show actually there's a there's a vision for marriage as a man and a woman there's a theological vision behind that that makes sense of what the bible then goes on to say about sexual ethics and if we can get excited about that vision actually that will help us to live within the parameters god gives us it gives us a reason we um I think the other thing is, is just to keep remembering our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And it's very easy, particularly when we when culture is turning away from us and when laws are being passed and, and all the rest of it that we feel don't reflect the common good as we understand it. It's very easy to kind of get into campaign crusading mode and to spend all of our efforts targeting MPs, sorry, targeting, in your cases, um, our congressmen and people in government and all that kind of stuff. And to, to make gay rights campaign as the enemy which they're not our enemies never flesh and blood actually the certain ideologies are and we need to take those on but not the people and they're people you know we so we we've got to kind of fight the the right battle on the right field mm, that's i really appreciate that's that's a good word and and 
towards that end, just on this topic, one other question that would, kind of comes to my mind is, what do you, what have you seen? You've had the opportunity, God bless you, to speak around this country, around the world, to these things. Um, is there anything that you see that's missing from the conversation, or that people aren't always necessarily aware of? That you'd say, you know, Davis, as I see this conversation unfolding, uh, I think sometimes people miss it on this this point. And when I say people, I'm talking about us as, as Christians, mm-hmm. pastors, counselors. Um, do, you, do you see that at all? Any any corrective that you might? Yeah, I think the, the the most general one would be the the thing we do which gets us into trouble is we abstract the issue of homosexuality outside the gospel and really what i'm trying to do is put it back in the gospel framework and to say actually the gospel framework of repentance and faith is true for everyone and i think one of the reasons we get stuck on the issue of homosexuality is that we we've stopped counting the cost of discipleship generally and so when we see the cost of it for this particular group, we think, oh, that sounds a bit unfair, and we, we start to doubt whether it's right and good. And actually, we just need to remember what the gospel is. Um, you know, Jesus says we... He says you must lose your life to save it, which means at the very least, at some time, at some point in your Christian discipleship, it's going to feel like Jesus is trying to kill you. It is going to feel like losing your life to follow him. Mm-hmm. If we all recover that that understanding actually it will reduce the shock value of when we see how it applies to one particular context that's really uh powerful i, I it is something that i think is missing from the conversation thank you for for bringing that up one, one other quick thing if i may is is the the other part of the conversation that has to happen is not just what is the correct sexual ethic to commend to people but what do we need to do as a church to make that sexual ethic a viable lifestyle Mm-hmm. And too easily we're, we're saying to people in a lot of churches that I see, if you're same-sex attracted, you need to be celibate. Mm-hmm. But actually in our church, that means you're going to be really, really lonely. And I kind of feel like saying to churches, you, you can't call people to celibacy unless you are providing the kind of family and community that the Bible says churches should be. You know, that's I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I know that um, you've written on a wide variety of topics. I mean, you've written on uh, the book of James, and then you've also you wrote about the Trinity. And I didn't want to I didn't want this to go by without talking just a, a little bit about that for a minute. Yeah. Uh, community and the Trinity and what that means for the life of the Christian. So for those that aren't listening, um, tell them the name of the book that you wrote, what that the theme of that that book was why why you wrote it yeah the, the book is called connected living in the light of the trinity i think yeah that's <laughs> a bit right um and I, I wrote it because i was looking for a book to recommend to people at church on the trinity that didn't have any latin words in and couldn't find any at that point so i thought well, I'll, I'll write one and what i was trying to do is to show how understanding that god is trinity makes the world of difference to your daily christian life it is such a good thing to know, and it shapes so much of who we are as his people. Anything we learn about God is going to help us understand ourselves a lot better because he made us. So to, to know that God is triune, actually that is going to have huge implications for the kind of universe we live in and what discipleship and church life and all these things are going to look like. So I'm re- I was just trying to show how actually this makes a, a practical, joyful difference day by day to understand these things. It's not obscure and irrelevant. So I'll just 
Pushy Deep, can you give us uh, one example of, of uh, something when looking at this, the triune nature of our God that you said touches the Christian on, on a day-to-day level, or should at least? Well, it, it reminds us why relationship matters so much to us, because God himself is eternally in a relationship within the Godhead. And so no wonder we are so wired for relationship and these things matter so much. And when they, when we get relationships wrong, it hurts us profoundly. When we get them right, it blesses us hugely. The place and nature of friendship, which we've so forgotten in our own Western culture, all of these things, the Trinity sheds enormous light on. And we can't properly account for other than the fact that the God who made us is himself triune. Yeah, yeah. It was when you had talked about... Uh when it pertains to those who are struggling really with any kind of a, a sin that, you know, if they're going to forsake that thing, they need community. And so that's the, that topic right there as it pertains to the trying nature of God, modeling that within our Christian communities, within the churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that you wrote that book. I, I think that it is a helpful resource. I'll just, I want to just promote it for you. I, I know it's just one of the things you've done, but I, I think for, for any person to, to read that, to have a better understanding will, will help them. And even, especially since this is about, you know, biblical counseling um, in that regard as well. And so um, I just want to say thank you so much for being willing to, to come and to bless us here at this conference and then to spend some time on the podcast to be able to, to share these insights and pray that God will continue to bless you and your ministry as, as you travel and, uh, and bring the hope and the message of Jesus Christ. And so thanks so much, Sam. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. 